welcome back to another episode of I'm Coming Out, the podcast where well-known people tell me, Johnny Harvey, their coming out stories. And today's guest is Jen Brister. I first came across Jen a few years back on Live at the Apollo, and I thought she was hilariously funny. I especially loved her impersonations of her Spanish mother. Jen has written and performed five solo shows around the world, including at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and of course the Edinburgh Festival, where she will also be performing again this year with her latest show, Underprivileged. She has been a guest on Frankie Boyle's New World Order and regularly supports him on tour. She has presented on BBC Six Radio and been a guest on the Guilty Feminist podcast. She also did an incredible TEDx talk in 2018 entitled Changing the Way We Bring Up Our Boys. Her book, The Other Mother, a wickedly honest parenting tale for every kind of family, is set to be released by Penguin in September this year. I met up with Jen really early on a Saturday morning and we chatted about lots of things. We talked about why there are so few lesbian dedicated spaces, why she came out as bisexual first, how she reacted when a girl in her class wrote her a love letter, how it took her some time to accept her sexuality, and the first ever lesbian kiss on British TV, on Brookside of course. We also talked about why referendums and debates on equal rights really anger her, and our experiences of being part of a gay couple with children. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes as it really helps me and helps other people to discover the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and here it is. Hello Jen and welcome to my podcast. Thanks for being here, especially on a Saturday morning. Absolutely fine. It's very difficult getting up on a Saturday morning, but I have children, so actually it's not. It's the same. They're a great alarm clock here. Yeah, they're a six a.m. alarm clock every day, and because I stayed in London, uh, even though I got up at half past seven, that was still kind of felt like a lion. So look at your face. Half seven is a lion by parents' standards. Isn't it's, it? It, 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 when half seven starts to feel like a lion, you need to question your life choices, I think. They definitely really need to do that. But mornings are good for being productive. Yes. I have been productive. I've got a lot done this morning already. So listen, it's all fine. The early bird catches the worm and all Or that. something. I mean, yeah. you should never, <laughs> never say that to a lesbian. It will, make, it will upset her. But yeah. <laughs> So there's something I've always found really puzzling about the lesbian community, and maybe you can enlighten me on this. I've always wondered why are there so few lesbian bars, and why are there so few lesbian-only spaces in London? So is that something you can you have an answer for, or yeah. I mean, with just whatever's happening in the gay community is being reflected in what happens in society in general. And we live in a patriarchal society, and men make more money than women. And when we talk about the pink pound we're not really including lesbians. And so then that's reflected in, in, in what happens within our community. So uh, the reason there aren't as many gay bars is because there aren't as many women setting them up because there, are, there isn't as much of the pink pound trickling down to gay women. And on top of that, I think there is a point where gay women do really go out loads and they go out partying and then they meet someone and then they never leave the house ever again. So there's two reasons. There's the 
societal uh, reasons uh, and the systemic reasons and also because yeah gay, gay women once they've got a girlfriend like to just curl up and I don't know watch, like watch a, yeah they nest don't they and you know and also a lot more gay families you know gay women have, no, gay men having families as well so I think that also impacts and gay men are they they do tend to be more maybe attracted to high earning careers would that be a fair assumption but I think that's just the way men, men yeah. uh, tend to have generally speaking better paid jobs and and I think there might be a, a, an argument to say that a lot of gay women tend to go into careers that are sort of I don't know social work or you know sort of not not corporate jobs you know like charity based jobs definitely so that there, there's probably a bit of that as well so the demand is there I think that I think there is that there is a demand and I think that um what happens with with everybody once they're in a couple you the nesting bit you you go through that and you're like literally we need to go and see someone i cannot just see your face and it would be lovely to be able to have a few spaces that were women i don't necessarily mean women only but sort of mixed spaces where that i felt like it wasn't totally led for and by men but i can't see that changing unless something systemically changes in our society because there are a lot of gay bars closing down as well gay men's bars yeah and i i i wonder because i think there might also be an argument and i might be completely wrong but i think that a lot of gay bars have become rather than being like when i came out all the gay bars were sort of individual and they were sort of owned by different people and they had i don't know if you went to one bar because you got they played this kind of music maybe they played electro and you go here because they played heavy house or you went to that bar because you could sit down and have a coffee and now it's like G-A-Y seems to own all of them you know and you're like well what if I that's not what I want so they're a lot more uniform and I suppose a lot they're a lot less unique and so they have a I don't know, maybe they have less appeal now. It's become more homogenous. Yeah, I think a lot of things that are happening within the gaming community have become a lot more homogenous. And I think with, with, a, with the, the fact that we are much more visible and that gay rights are being seen as human rights as opposed to something that's just afforded to us has also, on the flip side, I think has impacted on that kind of... I don't know, there's something about, like, being gay that seemed slightly anarchic or slightly left of centre or... And now it just feels like it's... I don't know, for a lot of people, especially, I mean, I can talk, I've got children, you know, I've literally completely gone down that route. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that there's still a little bit of that going on in, the, in, in a dark room somewhere in Soho. Do you remember your first time in a gay bar? Yeah, I do. If I could just remember, I mean, I used to go, I used to go a lot to gay bars because I had gay friends. This was before I came out. So in my teens, I went to a lot of, I went to heaven every Wednesday as a closet lesbian. I mean, and because there weren't really any gay women, there tended to be just exclusively young straight men, a gay men rather, and straight women. And it was called, what was it called? I want to say Fruit Loops, but that doesn't sound right. There would be a drag act. There'd be two drag or three drag acts um, in, on the big stage. And every there was like three different floors and each floor played different music. So if you wanted kind of bubbly pop, you know, then you could go there upstairs. And if you wanted the hard house and you'd go downstairs. And, and I used to love going. And I was so far in the closet. I kind of knew I was a lesbian, but equally I didn't know any lesbians. And going to those places didn't help me meet any because I never met any other gay women. I was still just meeting straight women. And I was like, oh, I'm just like you, am I? Except, you know, overweight with a unibrow and, um, a, and a, a man's shirt on. The clues were there, Brister. And then when I came out, 
there was a, there was a lesbian club night and I, I really want to be able to tell you what it was called and I've completely forgotten and it was all the women wore sort of wore leather and I knew I was gay and I hadn't come out and I went to this lesbian bar and it was just full of lesbians and I was so intimidated. I ordered a beer, a woman got eye contact with me and then I put the beer down and left. It was just horrific. I couldn't, I just couldn't stay there. I was too overwhelmed by everything that was going on and... And I was like, everyone seemed really confident. And, and it was so alien to me that I had to, I had to, <laughs> I just walked out. It can be your first time in a gay bar. It can feel quite overpowering, can't it? I think once you know, being, because I've spent many, I've, you know, spent many nights in a gay bar, but because it had been exclusively men, I think once you accept that you are gay and you find yourself in a situation where there are people who are, that is, that is the one thing that you have in common with them. We are all lesbians for me. Then, and there were no men there. That was just too much. I was like, I've got to get out of here. There's a real mix of women, but um, the women that were getting eye contact with me were very, they seemed quite sort of confident butch women. And I was like, what would I say to you? And uh, yeah, it was, it was very intimidating. And then, you know, you go back and you, you know, once you're out, properly out, then all of that seems, that makes, that starts to all make sense. And you find your, where you belong. So when were, did you come out officially or properly to your family and friends? Um, okay, so I did this very classic thing of coming out as bisexual, which was like hilarious because I had little to no interest in men. I think perhaps I'd sort of fumbled around with some guys and I'd slept with a couple were of men. Were you so confused at that point or was that a way of kind of breaking yourself in more easily? Yeah, I think all of those so I think that I hadn't completely reconciled with myself that I was not bisexual that I was just gay I mean I knew I was gay but being in the closet is such a it's such an incredible the way you lie to yourself is is and the way you convince yourself that that you're not this person that you almost certainly are is unbelievable when you look back you go how could I delude myself for that long that I even thought I was bisexual so I I said that because not I it's not that I thought that my friends were going to reject me because I knew that they wouldn't it was more that I didn't they were all they were all straight so I was like I'm telling you something that I'm you're I'm not like you is kind of what I felt like I was saying and so by saying I was bisexual I was still saying I'm still a bit like you we're still kind of similar. I mean, you like boys and I, I kind of like boys. So your friendship group was made up of mainly heterosexual girls? Heterosexual, all heterosexual women and, uh, and gay men. And all of my gay male friends were like, you're a lesbian. And I was like, I'm not, I'm bisexual. And they were like, yeah, okay, well, when you're ready, I'll take you to some places and we'll, you'll be a lesbian. I was bisexual for ages. <laughs> I came out, I was bisexual for about a year and or something. And how did those friends, your female friends respond to that? They were like, whatever. They were like, whatever, they were like, you've never seen that interested in boys, so crack on with some girls, you know. And then I didn't. I proceeded to come out as bisexual and then did nothing with women. And then I remember I was with a friend of mine and we had been living in Australia together. We sort of backpacked around Asia and then we lived in Australia together for a bit. And you know, we were going to these exclusively straight places. And every time, we, you know, we'd get talking to men. And, and, and I'd, a couple of men had sort of cracked on to me that, that my friend was like, these guys are really quite attractive. You, what's the problem? And, and they seem quite nice. And I was like, oh, there's something weird, but I just don't want to be in this thing. And she was like, Jen, do you ever think that, you know, that you um, might just like women? And I was like, oh, no. And then in my head, I was like, oh yeah, she's absolutely right. I don't like boys at all. The company of men, great. 
But it was the realisation that I'd got with, you know, a couple of men that were attractive, perfectly nice men that we had quite a lot in common. And I just couldn't even conceive of sleeping with them or spending, or wanting to wake up with them or spend time with them, you know. And that was a... That was an indicator, yeah. So you... It took you quite a while to fully accept it then. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Because there was no visibility, you know, like, I, there was literally no visibility. So, like, it's hard to imagine that now. I mean, it's not that long yeah. ago, but, like, going back 22 years, lesbians were invisible. There were no lesbians on television. There were no lesbians really in the media, like, sort of presenting television programs. And if they were, they were certainly not out. There was nothing really visible in terms of, like, magazines. It has changed massively in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I mean, you've got things like The L Word, and we had um, the the show here um, that was written by a mate of mine, and I've now forgotten the name, but was the equivalent in this country. And I'm just trying to think. Oh, there was the, 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 the kiss on Brookside. Of course, Anna Frio. Oh, my God, that was like so massively influential I mean like that that for me I was like how did I not just come out the second I saw that because I was like obsessed with Anna Friel for years afterwards I think I was around age or nine at the time but I do remember there was a huge media storm around that I think I was like 18 and and I was like and they made such a big deal of yeah. quite a chaste kiss but it was enough for me to go there are two women they're both fit and they're kissing and that that's that looks really normal to me. That looks that looks like something I'd like to do. It was a really sweet kiss, wasn't it? It was very yeah. Small, it wasn't one. like you know, massive, massively sort of sexualized or anything. They they, they it was quite a, a conservative uh, pash, but um, it was enough for me to go wow. But that's remembered now as a really it's unbelievable as a really groundbreaking moment in television. I think was it the I think it might have been the first lesbian kiss on a yeah. soap. Popra or something like that. It was like quite in, in this country. And then the other programme that came out, which was, and it came out probably a couple of years before I just came out and I said, look, I'm definitely a lesbian, was a show called Dyke TV. I don't remember that. Okay, so it was on Channel 4 and it was not an actual programme, but it was just a series of, like it would, I think it started at midnight, say, on Channel 4 and it was, went through till five o'clock in the morning and it was like every Friday or every Friday and Saturday and it was just like hours of lesbian content. So you would get... That is a lot of content. I mean, it was a lot of content. So you'd get movies and then you'd get oh, documentaries okay. about... Um, I learned about things like Sto uh, Stone Butches and Gold Star lesbians or Gold Star gays. You know, like I was like learning stuff. This lipstick lesbian was quite big in the 90s. And... All of these programs were, I think, I think Rona Cameron presented a sort of magazine oh, show. Yeah. yeah. And there was just loads of content. And that, for me, was where I, I basically did all my homework. But I still didn't come out. Incredible. But, and I used to, because I, I worked in the pub and I would come home and, you know, my parents would be asleep and my brothers were there or not there or they were out drinking. And then I would just sit there and watch it. And then if anyone came in, I'd switch over the channel. And I videoed it as well. And then I would hide the videotapes in my bedroom. And then, you know, I'd watch it back when no one was in. I mean, I don't, I don't know what I thought was going to happen if someone saw me watching. They'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But it was such a different world back then, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, I mean, in a way that I think it's absolutely brilliant now. I mean, young people now, if you say to them, you know, that I didn't come out until my 20s, they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Because now you can be, well, you can be whatever you want. You're pansexual, you know intersex, gay, trans, uh, bisexual, whatever, however you want to identify, go for it. Whereas when I was 
you know, growing up, there were straight people and there was Liberace. And I was like, okay, oh, I'm not, yes. you know, it's like, I don't think he's representing all gay men and Larry Grayson and, and Beryl Reed in um, The Killing of Sister George. I really wasn't helping lesbians particularly. How do you feel about the representation of lesbians in the media today? Oh, well, I think it's better, but it's still tokenistic. And I think it's very much a one-in-one-out sort of deal. But, I mean, you know, look, it is progressing. You know, we've got very high-profile presenters who are very successful and brilliant at what they do who happen to be gay women. You know, people like Claire Balding or Sandy Toxvig or Sue Perkins, who are all fantastic. And Sue Perkins' girlfriend, she presents another show on Channel 4 as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there is... You know, there is, I don't know, there is a lot more visibility and that's only a positive thing. But I think once we stop introducing, like, I would love to be introduced as a comedian. I would, I want to get past that point where people introduce me as Jen as a gay comedian or a female comedian in a way that just if you're a white guy, a white straight guy, you're just a comedian. I mean, why do I have to, you know, you're still always othered. I think, as a lesbian, definitely. And as a gay man, I'm sure, as well. It hasn't got to that point yet. No, we're still at that... We still think that the neutral point... The, the, the neutral point of everyone's experience, primarily, and then anything outside, is a white, able-bodied, heterosexual, middle-class man, you know? And if you step anywhere outside of that, you know, you're, you've a different colour skin, you have a different religion, you have a different sexuality, you're, you identify as different, then you're not normal you are othered and the irony of that is that actually those people are actually in societally are in the minority and yet we still consider they have that they carry that privilege and all other privileges i just kind of feel like are handed out by them and it's like i don't know why they get to hand out the privileges and tell us what rights we can and can't have and over our bodies whether it be for women about abortion or whether it be gay people about marriage you know the, the idea that we have referendums where we ask people, do you think these people should have equal rights? Drives me crazy. You don't get to ask people whether I have equal rights. You just give them to me. And that is the end. You know, and, and whether it be about abortion or whether it be about, you know, parent wanting to be a parent as a gay parent or wanting to marry the person that you're... Why are we asking, why are we asking Dave in Manchester what he thinks? I don't care what he thinks. I don't care if he approves or if he doesn't approve. Just bloody well give it to me because I deserve it. I think in most countries in, in Britain it was given by Parliament. Mm. I think that in Ireland it was referendum. And in Australia. Yeah. yeah, they had a plebiscite in Australia. And then what that does is it allows a debate. We get to debate whether or not... And some of those debates can be very... They're toxic. ...to listen to. They're toxic. I don't... You know, listen, if you're religious, great. Crack on. I have no problem with you practising your religion. I have no problem uh, with your faith. I have no problem with whatever you want to believe in. I think you should have that right. And equally, I should have the right to be able to live my life with the same rights and the same respect as, as everybody else. And when questions come up, like Question Time, they had a put out a programme where one of the questions was, should we discuss uh, homosexuality in schools? I was just like, shut up. Don't ask, If you're going to ask that question, it shouldn't be, why shouldn't we? be discussing it not like should we of course we should and then people are like i don't want my children hearing about sex and it's like what are you talking about at primary school by saying there are gay people exist it's like my children know gay people exist because they have two gay mums it's not like i'm sitting my four-year-olds go down and going now listen sweetheart do you want to know why mummy's got sh- short nails here's why no they just go you've got two mums some people have two dads that's one mum one dad that's it that's it's just all- the existence of 
it's just the existence that the very idea that the second we talk about homosexuality is we want to know what <laughs> what we're doing in bed yeah I don't, I don't, that's absurd you know that's what a lot of people are under that misconception they think that's what's going to be part to five and six year olds I know that I mean it's just incredible it's like all you're saying is you know how you have a mummy and daddy well guess what they have a mummy and a mummy the end and now let's read a book about caterpillars you know but are you entirely surprised that that response is there i'm always surprised and i don't know why i mean i'm very much head head down in a in an echo chamber and i know that um you know people are very disparaging of echo chambers you know all you're hearing is what you want to hear and i'm like yeah yeah, that's right. Why would I want to hear about people that hate me? I'm obviously going to like indulge in my echo chamber. So you have, as you've mentioned there, you have two children with your girlfriend. Yeah. So how has that been so far, your experience of being a gay couple with children? I mean, entirely positive right. because we live in Brighton. And so we have an entirely positive, I suppose, reaction from people. Do you think it might be different elsewhere? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I mean, we... we, we it, I know, you don't have anything I've got, to I've got, I can't really compare it to... You know, I think if you're in a big city like Manchester or Birmingham or London... I don't know. I think if you're in London, places like that, I'm sure it'd be fine. But I think there are always pockets of homophobia everywhere. And I, and um, we've just been very fortunate that up until this point, we, we haven't experienced anything. And that's not to say we won't in the future. But um, I'm obviously trying to protect my children from that as much as, you know, as much as we can. You know, we both deliberately moved to Brighton so that they wouldn't be the only children that had gay parents so there were because there are quite a lot of um, gay dads and gay mums in in Brighton and yeah we wanted them to have that to, to be able to see their experience reflected back in other families but I'm sure I think on the whole I would say I think most people don't care you know I'm a, a stand-up comedian and I perform all over the country and there are pockets of places where I think you know maybe careful. yeah probably but I don't I just now I'm at the point where I go I don't perform there I can say I'm not going to that town because I know how this I know how this is going to roll. Th- those bigots, I think, are now in the minority. I think I think that minority has a bigger voice, and now that they have, they feel like they can voice their opinions in a way that. So people are now beginning to think, oh, like there's so much more homophobia, and it's like no, those people have always been there, but now people like Trump and the rise of the alt right and things like mm-hmm. that have have given them, you know, a platform or, or a mandate to say whatever they like. But I don't think that they are necessarily growing at a like at a, an accelerated rate necessarily i just think that they have a bigger it's just the political shifts has yeah and i think they have a, they, they have a voice now and uh, and and the bbc with their fucking obsession with balance keep giving them a platform but i was watching your tedx talk last night which i thought was great by the way so the talk was on toxic masculinity and changing the way we raise boys so what measures do you think yourself need to be taken by parents in society in schools what measures do you think need to be need to happen to change the way that boys are being raised I think that there is a danger that if we don't communicate with our children from a very young age about their feelings and about their emotions that it can then lead to quite toxic behavior later. I think that I think we need to give our children boys and girls we need to to give them the space to be able to express how they feel basically to be to to, to be able to let that valve go and go look if you have any anxieties or if you feel like you don't feel confident about that situation or you feel sad or you feel 
feel uneasy or anxious, you ha- must talk about it. And also, if you want to ever cry, the whole very idea that boys can't cry. I mean, they, my four my four year olds spend their entire time in in bits, you know. And then and then at some point we go, oh, you're not allowed to ever have a cry ever again. Is crazy. Does that great line from you that emotions are gendered? Yeah, and I and I think we've gendered everything, and I think that's the different. And I think we've then we other each other, if that makes sense. So then I know that sometimes like my my partner's cousins are quite young some are quite young men and the way they talk about women is if they're not they're like this kind of separate species and so they're like you know these girls are slags really because they're always they get drunk and they they don't seem to respect themselves and it's like can I just remind you that you yesterday told me you got arrested because you were caught you know in a skip vomiting or whatever and it's like the thing is if guys go sleep around get drunk you know behave badly they're one of the lads if a young woman does it she's a slag and you don't need to respect her and I think that the difficulty is is that young women are being taught to value themselves by how they look and young men are being taught to value themselves by what they achieve and that's still I think the case and I think that or that we value ourselves young women value themselves by how much attention or how much how many men find them attractive on social media on social media on snapchat on all those things where they're sending naked pictures of themselves out and then you know often these young girls don't really want anything other than positive message back that they can then show their friends they don't necessarily I don't think a lot of these young women really know what they're doing and necessarily want to have sex or no and it's the same with young men and all I think it takes and it's really not difficult is to introduce sort of pastoral care at schools where we discuss sex where we discuss gender where we have uh, where we don't separate boys and girls we put them in a room together and we go what questions have you got for each other and what what are your um, stereotypes of and 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 just break those and smash them and and all of these things I think are just conversations and I really find it very strange when MPs or campaigners are like we mustn't have sex education and we mustn't be talking about this at school children need to be protected no, from this it's really crucial that's the time it needs to be done during the formative years informative years and I think you know it's too late in, in university or in your early 20s the you're... foundations have been laid Exactly. All of your, a lot of your opinions and your bias have been formed and there is a lot of unconscious bias that we carry and we pick that up at school, you know, or, at, you know, my children are picking it up at nursery. They're coming back saying stuff or I'm like, where the hell is, you've got two mums and you're, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Um, and I think we should always be trying to uh, address that. And I think if we don't address that, then this, this toxic masculinity that is constantly being bandied about and you know when we talk about me too and when we talk about uh, women wanting to feel safe and women wanting to be seen as equals we've got to start we've got to start when they're children when they're very young even primary school and it's not just about sex education it's not just talking about sex it's just talking about gender and about what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl and you know what it means to be trans what it means to be gay I don't know all of those conversations uh, I mean, I'm going to be having, we as a parents will be having those conversations with our children, but I think it'd be great if they were also getting those at school. Also, yeah. Um, because, you know, they're going to be with their peers and they're going to be influenced by what their peers say and, and, and perhaps more so than their parents a lot of the time. So, yeah. Um, it's very important that it is dealt with at that stage because if it isn't, then it kind of, it expresses itself quite negatively further down the line. Yeah, so. and also for gay men, and I think that there's there's also an, uh, a naivety with straight people that they think the gay community is one big sort of rainbow flag. And there's still those sort of, you know, there's still quite a lot of misogyny, mm. particularly lesbians get from gay men. And there are now quite a lot of gay women that hate gay men. And it's like, you know, I don't get it, but, well, I do get it, but I think 
it's kind of a shame and I think it would address those divisions as well. And the mental health statistics for the LGBTQ community are completely disproportionate to the rest of the general population also. Yeah, and I think it's just down to being not included and othered and being made to feel that you are just different and, and what's something about you is not quite right, something about you, something in your DNA has gone wrong genetically. Or, and you, that programming really sticks, it really does. It does, and, and I think it's really sad because there is, and I can completely believe this, that we are born gay. I, have, I mean, I know lots of people have a think there is the argument, and I've got into this with people, where they go, no, being gay is political was a political decision it's like well maybe that's ridiculous do people still say that absolutely there are still people that say that and I think listen if you were in that situation and you could choose whether you were gay or straight then you're not gay sorry because it's going to be much easier obviously yeah I didn't I never went what do I want to be with a man or with a woman I was like I have no choice this is it or I'm going to be desperately unhappy or celibate for the rest of my life so yeah it's not a choice and so just really fuck everyone else that doesn't get it because there's you know, we're fortunate now where you can find like-minded people who, you know, who are like you. It's really ridiculous that those beliefs are still out there. I just don't know how anyone could think that it is a lifestyle choice. It's just people I know, stupid. I know gay women that say that, that they, that they are political lesbians and that they, and I'm like, well... What, did they, they actually sat down one day and thought, I'm going to be a lesbian? I, I, I mean, like, genuinely, I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, yeah. Well, there's some more kind of fluid. Is that where it is? It's more... No, they're as lesbian as they get, but they will say that their lesbianism is, is political. And I'm like, you can be political and be, you know, your politics can be very clear, particularly as a gay, a gay woman or a gay man. But the act of coming out and acknowledging my sexuality wasn't a political choice. It was a choice about my mental health. And I chose to try and be as honest about who I am as I can and the closet is a miserable place to be absolutely miserable and going back to when you were younger can you remember when you first even became aware of what it meant to be gay oh god was it meant to be gay oh that was the biggest insult in the world yeah so if someone called you gay and because I was a bit of me that knew I was it was it was like the it was like a massive insult and i went to an all girls catholic convent school and there were a couple of girls who were definitely batting my team and who had made the mistake of having a crush on a girl and telling her did they do that oh my god like do you think that was brave or stupid i think both i very much understood that you couldn't do that because you would be vilified and they were and i remember when i was at secondary school maybe like 14 a girl sent me a love letter and I mean, I didn't show it to anyone and I didn't, I certainly didn't humiliate her, but I remember thinking, yeah, you can't do that. And I had to say to her, you can't. And I, and I remember, this is dreadful. This is how bad. I, I said, I won't tell anyone, but you mustn't let anyone know. But that got out. Oh my God, she would have, not, it would have been. You would have had to probably leave the school. Well, she, her life. family would know. Yeah, her life would have been just awful. And, and, and I could have gone, hey, she sent it to me. What do I, you know, I could have totally styled it out, but there's no way she could. So it, it was in school you first. Yeah, it would have been at school. And uh, again, imagine being in a school of, you know, I don't know, four or 500 girls and thinking that you were the only gay one. And there were actually tons. Yeah, of course. And who did you fancy when you were younger? I fancied everybody. So Linda Carter, who played Wonder Woman, could not believe how beautiful she was. Stephanie Powers in Heart to Heart. 
absolutely gorgeous. I really fancied her. Basically, when when I was sort of much older, like late adolescence, Anna Friel, yeah, dear really God, beautiful. I really carried that torch for quite a long time. I saw time. her on TV the other day. She hasn't changed a bit. No, I mean, she's still absolutely... I mean, probably still got a bit of a crush on her now. I, I basically, I'm just trying to think of, of, of like sort of American TV shows where there was a woman. Oh, my God. Farrah Fawcett in Charlie's Angels. Cagney in Cagney and Lacey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing my type there. <laughs> Lots of blonde women. And so when did you officially come out? As in to your... Uh, I always keep saying officially. But when did you come out to your family or your friends? I think I was 22. 22, yeah, I think so. I'd already... So I'd already come out as bisexual. I get that confused. So I'd already come out as bisexual at 21. Yeah, 22, 23, I think. I can't really... Yeah, that's when I came out and said, actually, I'm not bisexual, I'm a lesbian. And everybody went... Like, literally just rolled their eyes. Did you mind that response? No. They were just like, yeah, we, we know. And did you tell your family or your friends first? Or I told my brother. I told my brothers first. And then I told my friends, I think. And then I told my mum. And my mum was like, literally couldn't have given... I mean, I, I, t- I say a joke about it, and it's true. It's a really old, old, old joke, but it's because it's, it's... I mean, strictly speaking, it's just not a joke. She said it. But I said I, that I wanted to tell her I was a lesbian and um, and, I, and I made a real fuss about it and then she went oh stop but she said something oh okay Jennifer stop going on about it you know she said something like it could be worse you could be a vegetarian <laughs> or something so she was and my, my, my dad was fine as well I was very fortunate and I and I think that um, you know a lot of people aren't as lucky as I as I am with the responses that I, I got from friends and family and women obviously get a far far higher time in society than men and then lesbians they have that double bind so not only are you women but you're also gay so what's that like when you can be discriminated against on both fronts well I mean I don't know it's you know what's it like being the person that you are I mean I I I I suppose the does it feel must feel really frustrating at times I think what is frustrating is that if you achieve anything then it's because you are that so that's the thing that I find frustrating is that now that my career is going a little bit better then people are like oh well you lucked in there because you're gay and you're a woman and a bit beige and they need that they need to tick the boxes do people imply that or no I've had people say that that's so offensive not 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 not, there was no implying it there was just a directly saying it and there are people I think particularly comedians some comedians who think that the 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 people that are having the hardest time at the moment are straight white men and, and even you, though they're all across our tv screens yeah and the biggest comedians in the country are straight white men yeah i think that they're that they still believe that and i think you you know there might be a case for that there might be a case to say that the bbc because of their you know need for balance and box ticking do now give uh, a lot more people of colour and, uh, you know, different sexualities and, and, and certainly women are getting more opportunities, but they're still tokenistic. You know, like if I get something, I'm still the only woman. I'm still the only woman on that panel show or on that. So the idea that I'm taking up, men still think I'm taking their space. So they still think it should just be for men. And there might but be... who wants to see that? Do what? men even want to see that? I don't think so. And I don't, I don't think that... It's, it's, it's frustrating, but I, I, I think that there, are, there, there might have been cases where a producer lazily has booked me because they want a lesbian. Maybe. But I don't... I doubt that because I've been going for such a long time that for that to suddenly start happening uh, would be weird. And, and also, if you get an opportunity and you can't 
you're not good enough, then then you're, you're on television. You're not going to get booked again. And it's quite a humiliating thing to be shit on television because <laughs> a lot of people will see you being shit on television. So... Who wants to sit down and watch any panel show or any show that has no diversity on it? No, and I or think... Or any representation of different people from, people from different walks of life? No, I don't. I think I don't think they do. And I think a perfect example of that and was Frankie Boyle's show. You know, I Frankie and I worked together quite a lot over the last few years. And he, he's the only comedian that I can feel a little bit like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> he went there. Yeah. 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 And, and, and on his show, he will have an entire panel of women and, and he'll have no men. Or he makes sure that every time, if possible, what he wants to do is is, is give people of colour a platform or people with a disability a platform. And he's not really... And, and it's not like he's going, I'm only booking you because you're brown or I'm only booking you because you're gay. It's like, you're going to struggle. I think you're really good. I, I've noticed you're not... Like, he's like, you should be getting this stuff. And so I got on, you know, I got on his show this year and it was great. But I was on with Sarah Pascoe and Kiri pritchard McLean and myself, you know. And then George Monbiot was the only guy that came on the panel after I got off. And there was... and. Uh, and oh, maybe Miles Jupp as well, but it was predominantly women, and I and I think he's the only person doing that. Jen, it's been great chatting to you today. Thank you so much. I should stop emailing you now and hassling you all the time. I've really appreciated those emails. Don't you think <laughs> I have? Sorry about that. The book is out in September. Yes, uh, so it's really published really by Penguin. That. Yeah. And it's yeah. uh, uh, out uh, on the 5th of September. 5th of September. And we'll be seeing lots more comedy from you as well on TV. Yes. And I'm doing a, a tour called Underprivilege, uh, which will start uh, in January next year, which I'm taking to the Edinburgh Festival in August. Good, good. And uh, more impersonations of your mother? Sadly, no. No, she's not. Them. She's not in it. She's not. This is the first show where she's absent. She, she had to go. Okay. Basically, she asked me and just said, could you stop now? She didn't like the attention. She's like, you've done it for like 15 years. Can you get another joke? And I thought, okay, ma'am, I'll let you off this year. Jen, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And best of luck with everything. Thank you so much.